0: Ezekiel chapter number one. With all the recent events in our country over the last year, uh, it's honestly, it's left many people confused, anxious, and scared. It's as if the wheels have suddenly come off their life and nothing is sure anymore. And everything's just called into question. It's left many people asking, well, where's God in all of this? Why? Is he allowing this to happen? Well, this is the type of situation facing Ezekiel and his fellow exiles in Babylon. Only for them, it was several times worse. You see, their world had been upended. And amid the confusion, the crisis of faith, and despair, we read that the hand of God was on Ezekiel to bring God's message of repentance, of restoration, and hope to them. And whether you're in the ministry full-time or a church member wanting to make a difference for God in your local community, we need to have the hand of God on our lives, on our churches, on our families, on our homes, so that God may use us to accomplish His plans and purposes at this time in history. Here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter number one, we'll begin reading in verse number one. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. This afternoon, I'd like to take the next few minutes and preach a message I've entitled, How to Have the Hand of God on Your Life. But let's go to Lord in prayer before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you at this hour, and we ask you to, to help clear our minds and our thoughts, maybe things that are troubling us, maybe uh, things we're already thinking about this next week. Help us to set aside the cares of this life and put those off to the side for these next few minutes and help us to focus on your word. Father, would you give us ears to hear what you'd have to say to us this afternoon? Help us to know, um, help us to hear from you both individually and corporately as Mount Zion Baptist Church that's assembled before me here, what you'd have to say to them. Father, I think of the psalmist who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting Father, we ask that if there is any sin in our life, maybe areas of rebellion, disobedience, bitterness, anger, pride, that you would reveal that to us here so that we may repent of that. And Father, if there is someone here that is that is not saved, that has not had that time in the place where they turned from their sin and repentance and received you by faith, may You convict them of their need. Would you use the word of God and show them that they're not just a sinner, but a hell-deserving sinner. And Father, we pray for that man, that woman, that young person, that in your timing, that they would be saved. Father, we ask you to bless these next few minutes as we dig into your word here this morning or this afternoon. And we ask your blessings upon it now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The phrase, the, the hand of the Lord was upon him, is used several times in the book of Ezekiel. But what exactly does that mean, the hand of the Lord? After all, God is a spirit, amen. So God doesn't have a physical hand. So, metaphorically speaking, what does the hand of the Lord mean? Well, for some people, some people may just think um, that is a way of saying that God is blessing Ezekiel's life. But when we look at how that phrase is used in Scripture, we come away with a more specific understanding of what that phrase means. In fact, the phrase, the hand of the Lord, is found 35 times in the Old Testament. And if we were to take the time to look at all those verses, we would see that a majority of them refer to the Lord's hand as a way of describing his power. And so in Ezekiel's case, the hand of the Lord upon Ezekiel meant that that God was working in him and through him to accomplish his plans and purposes to those in exile. As by way of application for us here in 2021, uh, with so many people's lives that have been upended this past year, perhaps there's no better time in recent history than right now to have the hand of God on our lives, on our churches, and our homes, our families, our ministries. So that God may use us and empower us to accomplish his plans to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this message this afternoon, we're going to see a, a, a few aspects of Ezekiel's life. That by making personal application, we too may also have the hand of God on our life. And so, first of all, in order to have the hand of God on your life, you must, first of all, surrender to the will of God. You must surrender to the will of God. Look at the end of verse 3 again with me. We read, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. The hand of the Lord was there upon him. For Ezekiel, where was there? Where was his there? Well, at that time, it was in Babylon, and I can assure you it it wasn't Ezekiel's choice to be there, but it was God's will. And when we talk about surrender, surrender means to yield ownership or to relinquish control over what we consider to be ours, whether it's our life, our our property, our our time, our money, our aspirations, or even our so-called rights, so to speak. And when we surrender those things to God, we are simply acknowledging that what we own actually belongs to God. And that we are to care for as stewards the things that God has given to us. And so by surrendering to God, we admit that He is in control of everything, including our property, our time, our money, our rights, and yes, even our present situation. Now, Ezekiel was born in the land of Judah to a family of priests, and he would have grown up, no doubt, being told by his father and possibly his uncles and other relatives of what temple life would be like, of of what it would be like serving in the temple. And certainly he had his plans and his dreams for how ministry would go, but, but sadly they never came. You see, in 597, when Ezekiel was just 25 years old, he, along with many others, were taken as an exile to Babylon. God had used Nebuchadnezzar to conquer his people because they refused to repent of their sin, of their rebellion, and their idolatry. And friends, sin always has a cost. Amen? And those 70 years of exile in Babylon was a tremendous heavy price for the Jewish people to pay. They, lost, they suffered the, the loss of their homes, their properties, their income, their businesses, and eventually their worship center. I can picture in my mind's eye Ezekiel at 25 years old along with his wife as they uh, begin to make that 700 mile walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. And, and maybe as they round that last bend out of Jerusalem or, or over that last hilltop coming out of Jerusalem, maybe, maybe Ezekiel looks behind him and, and takes one last glimpse of that glorious temple in Jerusalem, a temple in which he had prepared his whole life to serve in, but in which cir- circumstances beyond his control would never come to pass. I I can really only imagine what was going through Ezekiel's mind at that time. Um, Imagine the disappointment he would have been facing, or that he would have faced. He, again, prepared his whole life for that moment that he could enter temple service. But life doesn't always go as we imagined it would, does it? Pastor, ministry does not always go as we envisioned that it would. Now, sometimes it's the result of our own sin. Sometimes it's the result of somebody else's sin. And sometimes it's just the result of a situation that's beyond our control. But this afternoon, can you relate to Ezekiel in some way? Maybe you had some plans for how your life would go. You, you had some dreams, you, you had some desires, but it just, it just didn't turn out the way that you were expecting it would. Ezekiel's response was to surrender to the will of God. Imagine the confusion he would have felt. I, I, in my mind, I, I see him asking questions like, uh, now what am I supposed to do? What does God's judgment on my nation mean for me? Is God done with me even before I begin the ministry? And by the way, he would wait five years before getting an answer to those questions. Maybe this afternoon you find yourself in a a situation and, and maybe you're confused. How is this going to affect your life? How is this going to affect your church? How is it going to affect your family? But we see that in spite of the confusion that Ezekiel faced, he still lived in a state of surrender. Imagine the stress he would have gone through, uh, not really knowing what life is going to be like. I don't know about you, but I like to have a schedule, a a calendar, and and know what I'm going to be doing on certain days, and and what I'm going to be doing when I I get there. But for Ezekiel, he's got to be thinking, what's going on? going to happen to my wife and I? How, 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 how are we going to live? How am I going to support my family? And though he experienced disappointment and confusion and uncertainty, he knew that this captivity was God's judgment on his nation. But he surrendered his life, he surrendered his ministry, and he surrendered his future to God. And as a result, He was right where God wanted him to be, amen? So to have the hand of God on our life, like Ezekiel, we too need to surrender our lives and our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations, our reputation, our rights, and yes, even our future to God. Well, to have the hand of God on your life, you must not only surrender to the will of God, but secondly, you must have a steady walk with God. Look in verse number 1, we read, now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, in the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. So when Ezekiel and the other captives arrived in Babylon, they settled in the area near the Kabar River. And as the events of chapter 1 unfold, we learn that they had been there for 5 years, to put this in a little bit of context, Daniel and the three Hebrew children had come in what is called the first deportation. And that was eight years before the second deportation with Ezekiel and many of the other skilled people there in the country. There was actually a third deportation later on. But uh, that second deportation was eight years after uh, Daniel and Ezekiel had been there for five years. so. Uh, I've been to public school, but I I, I think if I got this right, that adds up to 13 years. And so they're about 13 years into their 70-year captivity at this point. And and, um, over these five years that Ezekiel was there, the questions come to mind. Would he remain faithful to God? Or would he maybe succumb to, to doubt and bitterness, maybe anger, and turn his back on God? Well, we read in verse 1, there in the middle of the verse, it says, As I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. And so he gets this vision, this call to be a prophet. And you can read about this vision throughout the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And this vision ends in chapter number 3 in verse 14. We read, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them in the captivity at Tel Aviv. That dwelt by the river of Kabar. And I sat where they sat and then remained there astonished among them seven days. So after this vision, we read that Ezekiel went into the town of Tel Aviv. So this vision happened just outside of Tel Aviv down at, at the riverbank. Now, in Acts chapter 16, I believe it's verse 13, we read that the Apostle Paul, when he came into Philippi, he went down by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made well with that verse in mind some people have suggested back in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 1 where we read as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar some people suggest that that phrase means that Ezekiel was there at the riverside in a prayer meeting with some of the other faithful exiles at the riverbank that certainly is is possible Others have suggested that that uh, verse in chapter 1 verse 1 of as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar meant that uh, although Ezekiel was living in the, the, the village or the town of Tel Aviv with the other exiles that just maybe as any other believer would do in such dire circumstances he just wanted to get alone with God and so he went down to the riverside to pray and to seek his face. In either scenario, whichever way it was, uh, the answer to our question is the same. Did Ezekiel remain faithful to God? Yes, he did. Amen. And Ezekiel did remain faithful uh, in spite of living in, in a difficult situation. After five years, we find Ezekiel still walking with God. Those five years was a discouraging time, no doubt, for many of the exiles as they were trying to reconcile their faith with their present situation for example maybe they're thinking uh, isn't Jehovah really God and, and, and are, are we Jews not his chosen people did, did he not defeat our enemies the, and give us the promised land to live in and was Jerusalem not his holy temple is, isn't that where his presence is and, and does he not dwell there Many of the exiles had become disappointed, uh, discouraged, and defeated. It was because they they lost their focus. If I could just put it that way, they they took their eyes off of God. But Ezekiel, he never lost his focus. He faithfully maintained a walk with God. In 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to become the first woman to swim the 21 miles across the Catalina Channel off the southern coast of California. Uh, The water was was ice cold. Uh, The tide and the currents were against her. Sharks were spotted in the area. And the fog was so thick that she could barely see the support group in the boats that followed her. And she swam for 15 hours and became physically exhausted. Not being able to see the shore, She lost hope, she stopped swimming, and was pulled out of the water. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than a mile away. You see, it wasn't the cold water that caused her to lose hope. It wasn't the tide or the currents that were against her. It wasn't even the sharks. It was the fog. Later she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And by the way, she did try a few weeks later and was successful the second time. But maybe this afternoon, maybe there's someone here that that you're in a foggy season of life. You're living in in a fog of trouble, of worry, of doubt, of depression. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's, it's health problems, or financial uncertainty, or strained relationships with relatives or co-workers. Consider Florence Chadwick's, uh, Chadwick's words. She said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Though we may find ourselves in a foggy season of life, or, or in times of disappointment, of defeat, or discouragement, may God help us with the eyes of faith to to be able to cut through that fog, to be able to see the shore, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can keep our eyes focused on Him. And by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we can maintain a steady walk with Him despite whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. This afternoon, to have the hand of God on your life, you must not only surrender to the will of God and have a steady walk with God, but thirdly, you must see the wonder of God. You must see the wonder of God. Again in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, in the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. This date is permanently etched into Ezekiel's mind. He knew exactly how old he was. He was uh, in his 30th year, in the fourth month, and in the fifth day of the month. I mean, he knew exactly right down to the day when God reached down and and called him to be a prophet. Maybe for many of us it might be similar to asking, I, I guess if you're old enough, to say, Uh, to ask, uh, where were you when the Twin Towers in New York fell? You see, we all have dates and experiences that are seared into our memories. God was going to reveal himself in such a way that Ezekiel never would have imagined in his wildest dreams. This afternoon, can you think of a time when God got your attention? If you're saved here, you could testify to how God got your attention, amen, and showed you that you're not just a sinner, but a hell-deserving sinner. And, and how uh, in, in repentance you turn from your sin and turn to, uh, to Christ in faith and we're, we're saved. Um, some who are in the ministry can, can, can testify of a time when, when God called them into the ministry. But you don't have to be you know, in, in the ministry to have times when God gets your attention, and, 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 and it just those special times and seasons when God just just gets your attention about um, maybe it's while you're reading the Bible. Maybe it's about some sin in your life or some new direction that he wants to, to take your family through. <clears throat> Whether Ezekiel that day went to a prayer meeting by the riverside or just wanted to get alone with God, it was just like any other day. But but God made it a turning point in his life. And friends, we just really never know what a difference a day is going to make when we are following God and when we are living for him. Now, from a human perspective, um, those exiles were in a hopeless situation. Uh, No doubt many were in a crisis of faith, wondering, where's God? Well, on this rather ordinary day, God decided to show up and answer that question. Where was God? He was right there in Babylon with them. Amen? This vision that that God had given to Ezekiel showed the exiles that God's not limited to a temple in Jerusalem, but he's right there with them, right there with his people, right there with them in their captivity. Just like maybe many of the exiles back in Ezekiel's day, today uh, many believers have a limited view of God. They live their lives in such a way that they really don't believe that God can, can make a difference in their life or, or turn their present situation around. But through this, through this vision, Ezekiel received a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. And if we desire to have the hand of God on our life, we too need to have a proper fear of God. To fear the Lord is is to have an exalted view of God. It's to stand in awe of his might, of his majesty, of his power, of his wisdom, of his grace and mercy. Especially when we just think about Jesus Christ. Here Jesus is with, with, with the words, let there be light. And he brought light and life to a dark and lifeless planet. And this afternoon, if there's someone here that isn't saved, Jesus Christ also wants to bring light and life to your soul as well. And then he, he, he leaves the, 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 the glories of heaven and, and, and takes on flesh and lives among us. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be to be, to be weary and tired. The Bible says he is tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Here he fed multitudes, thousands of people with a few fish and loaves of bread. He, he raised the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind and, and the ears of the deaf. With the simple words, peace, be still, he calmed a raging sea. And then the greatest of all, he willingly goes to the cross for us to die for our sin. And then he was buried, and three days later, amen, not even death could hold his grip on him, and he comes triumphantly out of that grave. I mean, we just think about Jesus Christ and what a great and grand and glorious God we have, amen. Do you think God's up in heaven wringing his hands over this pandemic, the next one that may be coming, or the political situation in our country? Of course he isn't. And having a healthy dose of the fear of God gives us the confidence that God is in control. God is sovereign, amen? In Genesis 18, verse 14, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. When someone asks me to sign their Bible, I'll sign it with my life's verse, Luke 137, which says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. A few weeks ago, I came across an African praise song that Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. It says, um, the words go like this. Who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. And he does, amen? Now, none of us are going to admit that, that we have a small view of God. But our actions just show how big we think God is. This afternoon, how, how big is God for you? Well, it depends on how far you are from Him. You know, as you as you approach the Rocky Mountains from a distance, don't they just look like little hills? Right? Just way off in the distance. And then you get to, to let's say, Pikes Peak. You're at the base of Pikes Peak and you're looking up and you're like, wow, that's big. Or you You're outside and you see this plane fly over at 35,000 feet and it looks like just like a teeny tiny speck, way up there. And then you're at the airport and you're by your gate and you look out the window and there's this massive 747 out there. And you think, how in the world can something that big get off the ground? Well, how big is God for you? Well, his size is going to depend on the distance that you are from him. You have a small view of God as, as if you view God as, as, you know, the big guy upstairs. You know, that plane at 35,000 feet or those rocky mountains way off in the distance. Likewise, you have a big view of God as if you're at the base of Pike's Peak looking up or you're standing next to one of the largest passenger jets in the world, the Airbus A380. You know, that double-decker that goes all the way across. I flew in one one time and I never thought we would get off the ground. We need such a long runway. But your, your, your distance from God is going to affect your view of Him. And the closer you are to God, the bigger He will be in your life. And your view of Him will be that of a great and awesome and loving and powerful God that He is. And if that's not how you see Him right now, then maybe you need to get a closer look. Amen. Amen. Well, to have the hand of God on your life, you must not only surrender to the will of God, you must have a steady walk with God, you must see the wonder of God, but fourthly, you must seek to work for God. And what I mean by that is that you're available for God to use you as he sees fit. In verse number three, we read, The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. Though Ezekiel was a priest, God had a new occupation for him. That of a prophet. Before captivity, again, Ezekiel would have been looking forward to serving in the temple and having a long and fruitful ministry as a priest. God, however, had different plans for him. God wanted Ezekiel to be his messenger to those in exile. And Ezekiel the priest was hereafter to be known as Ezekiel the prophet. And after this vision, we read that Ezekiel felt the enormous weight of this call But there is nothing recorded in Scripture where Ezekiel fought this call or argued with God about it. He had spent five years waiting on God to learn what the next phase of his life will be. And when that call came, he was available. This afternoon, are you available for God to use as he pleases? Is your life open to his call or or for his direction in your life some may say well I'm already a pastor well what if he wants you to be a missionary or I'm already a missionary well what if he wants you to be a pastor or as I maybe seems to be we on this furlough we've been from the west coast to the east coast from north to south And I fear what is a typical mentality, I don't want to say attitude, but a a general mentality in many of our churches is that God only calls those into the ministry who are maybe teenagers or those in their early 20s. But those in their 30s and those in their 40s and those in their 50s and those in their 60s, you know, People think, well, you know, I've already got a career, I've already got a home, I've already got a family. Well, what if God wants you out of your career and into the ministry? Are you, are you open? Are you, are you available? Maybe there's something even in this church, some area of ministry, that maybe uh, God's been burdening you for, that you would be able to use, uh, work through this church in a specific ministry to be able to reach people with with the gospel of Jesus Christ are you available for him to use as he pleases are we one of those who say here am i lord send me or are we would be one that says here am i lord send my sister <laughs> look it's it's natural sinful human behavior to to start to uh, maybe start making excuses of why, uh, you know, not to surrender when God begins moving on our heart or calling us to a particular ministry. Uh, for example, if God was calling me from, uh, wants me um, to leave the mission field and, and start a church or, or, or pastor somewhere, uh, believe me, I can come up with a lot of reasons, a lot of excuses why I wouldn't make a very good pastor but then I need to stop and remember that um, God doesn't really care about my excuses. Right? He's more interested in my surrender. And and with God's callings come God's enablings. And by the way, that goes for you all as well. God's not interested in your excuses. He's interested in your surrender. God can certainly... Uh, You know, make up any for me, and my, as the example for me, can certainly make up for any deficiencies on on my behalf. But if we want to have the hand of God on our life, then we need to be available to His call and and His direction. We need to be available to be what He wants us to be. We need to be available to do what He wants us to do. And we need to be available for him to make us into the person, the man, woman, teen, child that he wants us to be. Amen. So to have the hand of God on your life and ministry, you must not only surrender to the will of God, you must have a steady walk with God. You must see the wonder of God and, and seek to work for God. But finally and quickly, you must submit to the word of God. Again, in verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. The purpose of Ezekiel's vision was to give him a message. And that message is that God is moving. And God is allowing himself to be seen in what appeared to be a God-forsaken place. They were not alone after all. God was right there with them. Amen. And it's still the message of hope that people need today. God does love you. God is interested in you. He desires a relationship with you. In fact, he died to have a relationship with you. He wants to make something special out of your life. And in spite of your circumstances and despite our sin, God is with his people. He always has been and he always will be. What an enduring message of hope. The phrase, the word of the Lord came, is used 50 times in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel wasn't saying, this is what I think you should do or what I suggest you should do. This was a, uh, a thus saith the Lord. It was a message from God. And as you read through the book of Ezekiel, you'll see that God had Ezekiel do some pretty crazy things. Have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? Right? Some really strange things. But he, we read that he not only received God's word, but he submitted to it. He obeyed it. He did what God wanted him to do, though it was not easy and though it was not popular. And friends, to have the hand of God on your life means that we need to submit to God's word. It means that we may find ourselves moving against the, the current of our culture and our society. As my pastor says, any old dead log can float downstream. But friends, it's going to take faith and courage to obey this book. I close with one last verse, if you would turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. If Luke one did didn't turn out to be my life's verse, this very easily could have become my life's verse. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and verse number 9 we read, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. A perfect heart isn't a sinless heart, but a heart that is yielded to the Lord and fully trusting him. God is looking for men and women, teenagers, children, that he can use. He's, he's looking for people that he could put his hand on so that he can work in them and through them, empowering them to accomplish his plans and purposes at this time in history to bring the gospel to those who aren't saved. Closing to be the kind of person who has the hand of God on them, you must surrender to the will of God. You must have a steady walk with God. You must see the wonder of God. You must seek to work for God. And finally, you must submit to the word of God. May the Lord add his blessings to his word this afternoon. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this narrative that you have given us in the book of Ezekiel and how thousands of years later we can read it and still be challenged by your word and by his life. Father, I do pray for your hand to be upon this church, this pastor and his wife and ministries of this church and the families and the people, uh, the members of this church to be a light, as John John the Baptist was a bright and a shining light. May this church be the, the, the lighthouse of God, to have the power of God on it, to be able to bring the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. Father, help us here this afternoon to... Surrender to your will, whatever stage of life we're in. Maybe we, we, made cha- we made some poor choices maybe in our past and maybe missed what was your perfect will at that time. But Father, we pray you'd help us just to surrender to where we are today and that um, we can do your perfect will now going forward, whatever that may be. We pray that you'd help us to have a steady walk with you. No doubt life is so crazy busy. There's so much going on in life. and Even with all the political and medical stuff going on in our country, it's easy to get distracted. But Father, help us to just to have that time to set aside, to schedule even a time every day just to spend with you talking to you in prayer and reading your word and just fellowshipping with you. Help us, Father, to have a proper view of you, to, to see you, to have a proper uh, fear of God, to see you in all your might and majesty. And, and, and though we look around us and there's so much that to, can distract us and cause us worry and doubt and fear and you know the thoughts of what's next, help us to have a proper fear of you to 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 know that you are sovereign, that you are in control and that you have the final say. And all the plans of men, those who are set against you and uh, as we read in Psalm 2 that you'd just sit up in heaven and laugh at the plans of man that that develops in anti-God philosophies and, and activities, and I think of that verse in the Old Testament, that no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. Father, help us to be available to you in whatever capacity, in whatever way that we can be better used of you here in these last days, and then to be able to submit to your word, Father. It's not easy, it's not popular, it goes against culture. Help us to live in truth. Help us not to live in lies, but to live in truth, to submit to this book and obey this book. And we just pray for the hand of God to be upon us so that you can use us and empower us to accomplish your plans and purposes to those of this time in history. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.